invite you to turn back to that John 10 passage this morning. And just one clarification. Um, is Pastor Dave still in here? Oh, yes. He didn't tell you, but on the cornhole thing, that the Bob Dunn team, he was on the Bob Dunn team. In fact, what he didn't tell you is, is he chose Bob Dunn because Bob Dunn is really, really good, and he is really, really not. And so what he wanted to tell you was that he was the champion because he cheated. Just want to clarify that before we go any further this morning. Uh, during my college years, I've said this before, I was able to live in England. My, my parents, my dad worked there in London. And over those four years, I got to see a lot of historical sites. I think for me, outside the Bible, history is my favorite subject. And I got to see a lot and go a lot of places in Great Britain and Europe. And I stayed in castles. I got to sleep in the room where King Henry VIII slept. Um, I, I visited Windsor Castle. I was able to walk on the very first tennis court that was ever created, the Tower of London. I did a lot of services and worshipped at Spurgeon's Tabernacle. Um, but one of my favorite things, passing by Charles West, my dad, his office, I'd go walk to meet him at the end of his day, and I'd walk him home. Went by Charles Wesley's house, all the great hymn writer in our hymn book. And so, but one of my favorites was Westminster Abbey. It is just a beautiful, beautiful building, a uh, church. And if you walk down the center aisle, kind of like our center aisle here, what most people don't realize is that, you know, that's the place where kings and queens walk when the marriages take place and the coronations and all of that sort of thing. But smack dab, literally right in the middle of the floor, um, David Livingston, the renowned missionary, is buried there. Um, his tomb is beneath the floor. He spent his entire life as a missionary to Africa. And he spent his best years taking the gospel to the hardest places in that continent. And, and when he died, the reason why he was so famous and why they buried him there is because he, he had his body sent back from Africa to England. And, and he instructed, though, even though his body would be there, that they should literally cut his heart out of his body and they buried it in Africa. So although you walk down the center aisle and his tomb is there with a grave marker on it, you walk over, kings and queens have walked over him literally for over 150 years. Um, his body is there, but his heart is in Africa because that's what he did. He literally and metaphorically gave his heart to the great work of the gospel. And as I stood on top of his grave and I walked down the aisle, I noticed and actually took a picture uh, back then because the inscription reads this. It's our text. It reads John 10, 16. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. That was the verse on top of his grave. You see, David Livingston was on a mission of must. For him, reaching people in Africa was a must. And that's what we've been going through throughout John's gospel in this month. There's passages that talk about the mission of must. That little word is our key word that Jesus was on. And certainly that was the exact same mission that David Livingston, the great missionary, was on. For him, reaching people in Africa with the gospel wasn't a might. It wasn't a maybe. It was a must. 
It was a must on an international scale. It was the very thing that he gave his life to. He had a heart of must. And the heart of must that David Livingston had was simply a reflection of the heart of must that Jesus Christ, his Lord, had. If you read, and you can, you can purchase a copy of it, you could read David Livingston's journals. And the year before he died in 1873, on his 59th birthday, he wrote in his journal this line, My birthday, my Jesus, my King, my life, my all. I again dedicate my whole self to thee. It would be about one year and he would die by his cot in his tent on his knees in prayer. That is what a heart of must looks like and sounds like. You see, if you're a believer in King Jesus here this morning, maybe God brought you here so that you could say again. See, isn't that the great? Again, Jesus, again, I dedicate my whole self to you. Not just part of it, not just the easiest. No, no, my whole self to you. That's what it's going to take if we as a church and God's people throughout this world are going to reach the lost with the gospel. So joining Jesus on a mission of must with David Livingston means that we are willing to dedicate our whole self to reach people from all the nations and introduce them to Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Now, I am the Good Shepherd is the key phrase. In fact, there are seven I am statements. Truthfully, there's more than that. But the main ones that we all know are listed throughout John's Gospel. Two of them, number three and four in the list of seven, are in this text in chapter 10. I am the door and I am the Good Shepherd. Now, if you know anything about Jesus and why he would have said that, it's because he's quoting from Ezekiel 34. Please don't turn there. It would be a message in and of itself. Ezekiel 34 is a prophecy about in the future that there would be a good shepherd that would come. But that good shepherd is in contrast to bad shepherds. People that were given oversight of Israel and the worship in the temple, but they were not really good shepherds. They were bad sheep. They wouldn't take care of the flock. They didn't feed the flock. They were teaching them false things. And, but there was a promise that a good shepherd would come. And here's Jesus' message in his day. That's me. See, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who's going to give my life for the sheep. Now, that was the prophecy in Ezekiel 34. But come to Jesus' day in John 9 and 10, we saw that unbelievers are marked by darkness. Last week, the blind man. And this week, by deafness. But in John 9, the religious leaders, because this man said that Jesus healed him and he had become his disciple, they kicked him out of the synagogue. And it's the same word expel used of casting out demons. I mean, they literally threw him out of the temple. He could no longer be in the synagogue system. He wasn't accepted religiously, socially, on any level because he claimed Jesus. But see, that's the bad shepherds. And they pushed him out because of Jesus. But see, the opposite is the good shepherd. The good shepherd came up to the blind man, healed him, and accepted him into his community, even though everyone else thought because he was blind, he wasn't worthy. See, that's the whole thing. When Jesus says to us this morning, I'm the good shepherd, it is in contrast to bad shepherds. See, that's the danger, and I want to show you or make you aware of it right up front this morning, is that when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, there are alternative shepherds in our world. It would be a lie for me to tell you this morning that Jesus is the only one whose voice is out there calling you to follow him. 
See, every single person in this room this morning, you are following a shepherd. That is not up for grabs. But what might not yet be determined yet, hopefully, is what kind of shepherd are you following? Whose voice are you listening to? You're following either Jesus's or another bad shepherd. Every single one of us have one. The question is just really which, which one is it? Bad shepherds give a false salvation. And as Jesus would say in this chapter, they are like thieves who destroy. See, bad shepherd, false salvation, destruction. But you have good shepherd, brings true salvation, and he delivers. It's, it's worlds apart. And so this morning, I want you to think as you sit here, am I really one of Jesus' sheep? Do I really know? And, and, if I, and if I'm questioning that, how would I really know for sure if I am? And then if you're a believer this morning and that's confident in your life, you might ask yourself the question as I'm speaking from God's word, well, how does God save his sheep so that I can join him on that mission? So we're going to look at those things this morning and we're going to look at how Jesus saves his sheep and what a sheep of Jesus really looks like. And so there are three marks of a Jesus sheep. And we're going to unpack each one of them one at a time. First is this. Jesus' sheep have a reciprocal relationship with him. Let me draw your attention, verses 14 and 15 in our text, to the little word know. K-N-O-W. It's mentioned four times in our text. And verse 14 says, I'm the good shepherd. Now he's going to tell you, if he's your shepherd, what would that mean for you if you were his sheep? I know my own Remember in John 1, 11, I can't, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. His own is a very personal, intimate, relational type thing. So Jesus is saying, if you're my sheep, we have this relationship. But he's going to tell you what kind of relationship is. It's reciprocal. And by that I mean, it is not a one-way relationship. It is a two-way relationship. Because notice in the text he says, I know them, listen, and they know me. See, if Jesus is really your good shepherd and you are his sheep, it's not one way. Have you ever been in a one-way relationship? Have you ever, if you know, you'll know it's not great. It's all give and no take. You, you understand. And if you've ever dated someone or been involved with someone in a relationship where it's all about them and not about you, you know that's not a great experience at all. Jesus says... If I'm your shepherd and you're my sheep, it's reciprocal. I know you. I'm intimately knowing you. I know you, our relationship, and you know me. It's not, listen, not the other way around. Some Christians today, see, they say that they know Jesus, but he doesn't know them. And that's a scary concept. Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, in verses 21 through 23, Jesus says these words of warning. Hear him. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and did many wonderful or miraculous things? And then it says he will say to them, depart from me, workers of iniquity or lawlessness, for I never knew you. Is that not scary? I mean, listen to them. They have the right vocabulary. Lord, Lord. Anytime you repeat a vocative term or nominative term, it's for emphasis. In other words, not just Lord, Lord, Lord. They are very emphatic about how much they know him. They call him their Lord. 
So they have the right vocabulary. They have the right activity. They're, they're doing prophetical things. They're casting out demons. They're doing supernatural things. And by all stands on the outside, it looks like they really know him. Let's turn it into 21st century vernacular. Hey, Lord, Lord, I come to church. I read my Bible. I serve in the ministry here. I, I, and you go on with it. See, here's what he says. I never knew you. See, Jesus' sheep, not only do they say that they know him, but he will say back to them that I know you. See, it's reciprocal. It's not one way. It's not just him knowing you or you saying that you know him. It's mutual. It's a mutual relationship. Well, what would that kind of relationship look like? Well, our text doesn't leave us guessing He says again in verse number 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Ready? Just as the father knows me and I know the father. See how the Trinity, Jesus relationship, God the son, God the father, it's reciprocal. God knows him and Jesus knows the Father, and they're very close. I mean, you couldn't get any closer relationship that God the Father and Jesus have together. It is so personal. It is so intimate. And he says, listen, if you're my sheep, that's what yours will look like. It's not this stuff where we put Jesus in our life and have some sort of relationship occasionally when we need to, or we need to go to church on Sunday mornings only, or we open the Bible, we have a crisis or an emergency. No, it's a relationship. It should look like the father and son's relationship with one another. That's the kind of intimacy that you should have if you truly know him. It's just as that kind of relationship. Jesus is going to tell us more. He wants to let us, he's going to fill in our understanding of what a two-way relationship with him is really like. And so he's going to, let me back up, look at chapter 10 and verse 4. Chapter 10 and verse 4 reads this, when he had brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Now here's the word know again, but look what it adds, for they know his voice. So it's not just know him generally. But specifically, they know his voice. Next verse. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. So they're both true. If you know Jesus and he knows you, here's what will be very specifically true. When he talks, you will listen. You will hear him. And when the alternative shepherds, the bad ones, talk, and they tell you this is what your life is about and this is how you should live it, you will not listen to them. Both are true. Both are true. Now, in first century Judaism... And I've seen videos of modern-day sheep and their shepherds. The average flock was about 100. That's why Jesus told the parable about 99 sheep and going after the one, because 100 was about as much as one shepherd could take care of. At nighttime, they would have a pen that was out in the wilderness, and it had rock or stone around it, about four to six feet high, and there was a wooden gate at the front of it. That's Jesus says, I'm the door. The shepherd would sleep in the door, so that the wolves couldn't come in and get them. You'd have to go past the shepherd to do it. But interestingly enough, two shepherds might be in the same field in the day with 200 sheep separated from one another. But at night, they'd have to all come together. So it wasn't uncommon for all those sheep 
to come together in one pen. And you might say, well, how in the world is that going to work? Because when the morning comes, they have to get their own sheep and take them away. Which ones are theirs? Well, the crazy thing about it is that that was never a problem. Because they literally knew their shepherd's voice. And Jesus says in verse 3, and he calls them by name. Every shepherd had a name for every one of his sheep. And they knew his voice. He had certain words that he would say and he would call them and he was different. So when you had two shepherds and two sheep in a pen, two full, two, uh, hundred sheep in a pen, in the morning each shepherd would take turns and they would call their sheep and everyone and they would go their ways and all hundred would go with each shepherd rightly because that's how it worked. You see, that's exactly what takes place in our lives is if we're truly his sheep. We will hear his voice. But if we're not his sheep, we will be deaf to it. Don't turn there, but just listen, please. I'll give you an example. Jesus was standing before Pilate in this gospel. In chapter 18 and verse 37, and Pilate was deciding whether Jesus would be crucified. And he asked Jesus who he was. And Jesus, in talking to him a little bit, says this in 1837. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate's famous answer, what is truth? Now, the next chapter, the talk continues. Jesus stands in front of all the people and Pilate is next to him. And the crowd begins yelling things. And two times in John 19, 8 and 13, it said, when Pilate heard these things... And he was afraid because the religious leaders said first, Jesus says he's the son of God. It made him afraid when the people told him that. He heard that and it moved him to fear. The second one in verse 13 said that if you befriend Jesus, you are not Caesar's friend. And when he heard these things, he finally decided that he would have Jesus flogged and crucified. Now see, Jesus told him, standing in his very presence, here's Pilate and here's Jesus next to each other. Jesus is literally talking to him. If you're of the truth, you'll hear my voice. And you know whose voice he heard that day? Well, that wasn't Jesus's. It was the crowd's. It was the crowd telling him, oh, don't be a friend of Jesus. Be a friend of Caesar. You don't want to give up that. It's too much. And he ended up crucifying him. See, Pilate is an example of someone. And see, you could be here, and you could be here in church, and you could hear Jesus' voice, and you've heard it before, and people have told you the gospel, and you may have said a prayer when you were a kid. See, but you may have heard him, but you never have really heard him. Pilate had physical ears to hear, but he didn't have spiritual ears to hear. At the end of our chapter, in chapter 10, in verses 25, Jesus says, I told you, and you do not believe, the works I do in my Father's name bear witness of me. But listen to this. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. You see how he's put hearing and knowing as synonymous? Hearing, knowing, following, they're interchangeable. So when Jesus says hearing him, it doesn't just mean audibly hearing him. It means you hear in such a way that you believe it, you obey it, you follow him, and you know him, and you have a relationship with him, and it changes your life. That's what marks a Jesus sheep. See, so I can accurately say no hearing, no following, no knowing. 
It's one thing to say, I know someone or I know about them. I know about a lot of people, famous people on TV. I know about LeBron James, but I don't know him. I know about certain Hollywood actors or politicians or people who are famous. I know about them, but I don't know them. And that, see, that could be you. I know all about Jesus. I know the Bible. I know the story. I know he's the son of God. I know he came to earth. I know he died on the cross. See, you know what I mean? Know all about him without ever really knowing him. John 8, 43, listen to this. Why do you not understand what I say, Jesus says? Here's why. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You know why the religious leaders, you, you might say, how did they not get it? How did they not get it? Because they didn't have ears to hear. They were spiritually deaf. John 8, 47. Whoever is of God hears the word of God. And the reason why you do not hear is because you are not of God. See, you can come to church. You can hear the Bible. You can hear the gospel. You can hear how God says to live your life. And it never changes you. It never impacts you. Not really. Why? Because you don't know God. You're not one of his sheep. My daughter Mackenzie was born with ear tumors. They were genetic. And we went to phys, uh, Children's Hospital in Philadelphia many, many times. She had nine or ten different surgeries. But I remember the first time we went in, and she was three years old, and they wanted to check out her hearing. And so she was in this booth behind a glass window. And the doctors were over there, and they began to say things to her, like words. And they said, do you hear me? Tell me what these words are that we're saying to you. And they didn't have their mouth covered or anything. It's baseball, and she'd say baseball. Ice cream. Ice cream. So they did that for a while, and then they went like this. Baseball. Ice cream. Same word, same tone, same volume. She didn't understand it. You know why? Because she could read lips, but she couldn't hear it. She really couldn't hear. Now, at first glance, you'd think when they first started talking to her and testing her, oh, it's not that bad. She can hear that. But she couldn't. Not fully. Partial loss of hearing. See, she was a good lip reader. She still is to this day. Which is a little scary when you think about it. Can I tell you this? There are some people who sit in pews. You are really good spiritual lip readers. I mean, you know what the words are. You know when to stand up and sit down and sing and do all the things. I mean, you know the spirit. You can read lips. You, you know what it's about. But truthfully, deafness. Not, not, not just partially fully. You see, they're back-to-back must stories. John 9 is about darkness being blind, and John 10 is about being deafness. See, see, you're, you can't hear what he has to say. You just read lips. See, he says, see, you're not to be involved in fornication and sexual immorality, and you hear that, but you never really hear it. Because you still are, and it involves, that's how you live your life. See, he says, see, don't be marked, don't be a person who is unwilling to forgive others because I've forgiven you so much. And you know that truth, you've heard it, but it's never changed you. You say, I understand the Bible teaches God, I give 10% of what I make to you, and God, then the other part is mine, so to speak. You know that's true, but you don't. You, see, you hear it. And you know, and you're thinking about getting around to it, perhaps. 
He says, love your neighbor as yourself. But see, the deafness rules. And so it's you. It's really about you. You're number one. You're the center of your universe. See, you know what these things are? They are self-shepherding things. I don't really need him. And the reason I don't want to hear him or need him is because I'm in darkness. So the question is, do you have a one-way relationship with him that you think you know him, but he doesn't really know you? And the reason that might be true and not a two-way one is because you are still deaf. You cannot hear. Remember the Verizon commercial, Can You Hear Me Now? See, he's saying that this morning to your heart. He brought you here this morning. You know why? Can you hear me now? I'm talking to, I'm calling you. Do you hear me, he says. So see, that's the first mark of a Jesus sheep. There's a two-way relationship. It's a reciprocal relationship that goes both ways. But let me build on it a little bit. There's another mark of Jesus' sheep, and that is they are loved freely by him. Four times in our chapter, the little phrase is, he laid down his life. It's in verse 11, 15, 17, and 18. Now, please let me point this out to you. Stick with me. There's a parallel statement that starts identical to one another, but it has a different ending. In the Bible, when people speak, if they have part of it's the same, but the back part of it is ending, it's two ways of saying the exact same thing. Let me show you. Verse 11 and verse 14 start the same way. And that is this phrase, I am the good shepherd. See it? Look at your Bible. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. They start the same, but they don't end the same. Notice how they are different. Verse 11 says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But verse 14, although it starts the same, ends different. And here's how it ends. I know my own, and my own know me. So why the difference? Because they're two statements that are the same. Watch. You know how you know him and he knows you? What's the basis of you really knowing him and him knowing you? It's his laying down of his life. The basis of anyone truly knowing that they are Jesus' sheep is his death on the cross for their sins. It is not your religious denomination. It is not your good works. It's not your baby baptism. It wasn't the catechism. It wasn't none of those. The basis of being a sheep of Jesus is not you, it's him. He laid down his life for the sheep. Do you grasp what that means? Think through it. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned to our own way. And listen, and the Lord has laid on him, laid on him, same phrase, the iniquity of us all. The only way that sheep could ever come back, the only way that sheep could ever know him and stop straying and stop going away and turning away from him is that he had to have their sin laid on him. That's the basis of knowing. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are a straying sheep. And if you're honest, candid, you might say, and I've been straying for quite a while. And the Bible describes it as going astray. It means wandering off into the wilderness. That's just what sheep do. If they don't have the right shepherd, they just wander off. You know why? Because they think that they can self-shepherd, that they can do it themselves. They can handle the wilderness. 
They can handle the wolves. They can handle it themselves. And some of you are here this morning and you've done that. You are self-shepherding as I'm speaking. You have teeth marks of the wolves on you. You have been bitten. You've been attacked. And you're out in the wilderness on your own. But you think that you can make it. You think that you can find the satisfaction in the wilderness that you really need. And in 21st century, that's at the end of a needle, the bottom of a bottle, or in someone else's bed way too often. You've gone astray. And Jesus wants you to know, and he wants to say to all of his sheep, I know you. I know you. I know everything about you. I know I've seen the wolf bite. I've seen the wilderness wandering. I've seen you and how long you've been astray. I know you. I know everything about you. And I want you to know I still laid down my life for you. Verse 18, he says it so strongly. No one, verse 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Do you get what that means? He knows what you're like. And how long you've done it, he knows all the details about you, and he died for you. Listen, freely, freely, no one takes it. I lay it down myself. Can you imagine a love like that? I mean, it's astonishing, isn't it, that Judas didn't take Jesus' life, although he betrayed him. You know what it means? It means the mob in the Garden of Gethsemane that arrested Jesus, they, they didn't take his life. Annas, the high priest, and the Sadducees who asked Pilate for Jesus to be crucified, they didn't take his life. The false witnesses that lied about Jesus at his trial, they didn't take his life. The crowd that shouted, crucify him, they didn't take his life. Herod or Pilate who teamed up together and became friends on that day and even actually gave the permission to be crucified, they didn't take his life. Did you know the Roman soldiers who actually nailed him to the tree, they didn't take his life. Jesus gave it. He gave it for you if you are his sheep. See, that one glorious sentence, no one takes my life from me. You know what it means? It means that every turning point where it looks like Jesus was under constraint, every moment when it seemed like he was being forced to do what he didn't want to do, what it really means is he was choosing it freely. Why? Out of love for his sheep. His straying sheep. His sheep that didn't want anything to do with him at the time. No one forced Jesus to love you. You know what he brought you here to say this morning? I loved you freely. Because I wanted to. It wasn't a mercenary love. It wasn't a dutiful love. It wasn't a coerced love. It was the kind of love that you can't get anywhere from anyone else in this world. You know what our world offers you? You know what kind of love they have? It has sentences like this. I'll love you if. I'll love you as long as. I'll love you when, see, as long as you're beautiful, as long as you're skinny, as long as you're rich, as long as you're great, as long as you have a job, as long as you, and the list goes on and on, does it not? But that's the kind of world that the world, love world offers, but not the good shepherd. That's why he's good. And so we sing about it, in our worship course, is amazing love. How can it be? How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? It's amazing that Jesus loved his sheep freely. But there's one more, just one more mark of being a Jesus sheep. 
Which brings me to missions month. And that is Jesus' sheep are purposely united by him. Verse 16. This is our must statement. Other sheep I have that are not of this fold. See it? I must bring them also. And they, like all the other ones, they will listen to my voice. And what is the purpose and the result he's asking, doing this for? So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus' death is not just the basis of bringing Jewish sheep. It's the basis of bringing all his sheep, including the Gentile ones. There's a prophecy that Caiaphas says, and he's not even a believer, but he is true in what he says. In John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 51 and 52, it reads, and I'm going to turn there. Here it is. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, but not just Jewish people, watch, and not for the nation, that nation only, but also together into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Jesus' death is the basis for Jewish sheep being saved and for Gentile being sheep being saved. All of them. All of us who were scattered abroad. See, Jesus was on a mission of must to reach Jew and Gentile. He, he is creating a new people, and we are it. Why do we celebrate at Faith Baptist Church with all these flags? Why, a couple weeks ago, did we have people stand up and count over 20 different nations represented within this community of believers? Why does that matter? Because that's what he died for. See, I must bring them, not just people who are like me, but people who are not like me. People who are his sheep are marked by this. Oneness. They are one with the shepherd, and they are one with all of the other sheep. Is that not the Great Commission? Preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all the nations. Jesus laid down his life, hear me, not just to save as a bunch of people, but all kinds of people. He doesn't just have a number in mind that he can fill heaven with a bunch of people. He has purposely designed that heaven would be filled with one flock, and that one flock is comprised of white people and black people and Asian people and Indian people and all kinds of people. See, one flock means this, unity with diversity. That oneness includes everybody. And this is what he has died for purposely, so that there will be a Hispanic fold, and a Haitian fold, and an African fold, and a Filipino, and an Italian, and a Polish, and an Indian, and Chinese, and Russian, and on and on and on. See, he has all these folds, and he says, I must, I have to bring all of them. See, as a church, every year we try to keep awaking our people to this fact that God wants to reach all the nations with the gospel. Red, yellow, black, and white. The children's song, they are all precious in his sight. And that has implications, doesn't it? That means that as Jesus followers, we can never become ingrown or indifferent to the world around us. Can I give you some other musts that this one must of Jesus said? You know what it means? There's some other musts for us. We must be against nationalism because Americans are not greater than any other nation. 
in God's eyes. We must be against racism because he says, I must bring other sheep from the other fold. We must be against ethnocentrism to somehow think that our ethnicity is really better than anybody else's. We must be against ever allowing ourselves to be comfortable with the one-fold mentality that believes that our fold is superior to anybody else's fold. See, we have forgotten that in America. And that is why we have the political divide and the racial divide and the gender divide. And that's part of the reason you know why? Because we don't know the shepherd. And we're not following the musts. Let me say it straight to you. My brethren, we cannot claim to have one shepherd and live as if we are not one flock. And so all the comments on social media and all the things that we say and all the divides, we, that should not mark God's people if we are his sheep and he is our shepherd. One shepherd, one flock. And it shouldn't matter what the color of our skin is, our ethnic background or the language that we speak or the economics that we possess. See, I know it isn't easy, and I know it will cost us at great sacrifice to be that kind of community at Faith Baptist Church. But my question this morning is, how can we not, seeing that he laid down his life for us? That's sacrifice. So let me close this morning with how I began, with another quote from David Livingston. David Livingston, before he died, was giving an address to students at Cambridge University. And he said this, People talk of my sacrifice and how I have spent so much of my life in Africa. He asked, Is that a sacrifice which brings our blessed, our most blessed reward? Can we really call it that? He says, Away with such a view, away with such a thought. Emphatically, it is no sacrifice. Say rather, he says, it is a privilege. All these hardships are nothing when compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And then he says these words, I never made a sacrifice. Do you think that what we have to go through to reach people of all the nations and what we have to be able to willingly do is hard on our part? Look to Calvary. That's hard. Looked at the cross of Jesus. That's sacrifice. And may it be, by the grace of God, that the people of Faith Baptist Church who are his sheep would rise up as one flock and say this, I never made a sacrifice. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Walker, I'm not really sure after I heard your words from John 10. I don't know if I'm Jesus' sheep. I really, I honestly don't have that confidence. I know, I thought I know him. But after today, I'm not sure he knows me. Can I tell you? Let God's word humble you. Don't think for a moment and worry about anyone else who's here. After the service is over for a few brief minutes, I'll be here. After the small group time, I'll still be here. I would love to take the scriptures and show you how you can be one of Jesus' sheep. But perhaps you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and you are one of his sheep 
and you are part of Faith Baptist Church, but you just say, Pastor Walker, I'm not on the mission of must that Jesus and David Livingston were on. I'm not. I don't feel this compulsion to reach out to the nations with the gospel. It's not my lifestyle. It's not who I am, but it needs to be. If I'm his sheep, that's what marks me. And I'm going to pray that you would pray for, I'm going to ask that you'd pray for me that God would help me to live out what it means to be his sheep. Would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you as we close. Anyone else? Just raise your hand all over, main floor, balcony. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Father, there are people here today, they have heard your voice because that's what your sheep do. They can actually hear you and it makes a difference. But there are some, and perhaps more than we'd ever imagined, they're here and they haven't heard a word you said. If they're your sheep, Father, I pray, open their ears that they might hear. They might hear you calling their name to come home, to come home. May your grace prevail. Where sin abounded, grace abounded more. And I'll thank you for that rich blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.